Welcome everybody, my name is Pav Bryan, I'm Performance Director and Co-Founder here at Spokes and you are listening to Bespoke, the cycling and triathlon training podcast. I'm delighted to be joined today by an absolute legend in his field and uh, someone who I'm delighted to have as uh, part of our Spokes expert panel, uh, Mr. Nigel Mitchell. Um, how are you doing? I'm really, really good, thanks Pav. I've had a good day. Uh, the weather's been a bit rough, but I've been out on my mountain bike and I've been to the gym for a bit of a circuit, and I've crammed in some work as well. So, pretty good day. Fantastic, yeah, and that's what uh, mountain bikes are for, right? For all weathers and all terrains. So, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> weatherproof almost, weatherproofed almost. And uh, okay, so for for the listeners, obviously, you've had and. Let's be honest, it goes from strength to strength here. You've had an amazing career. And just before the call, we were talking about the different sports that you're kind of getting into and now. But for the people who aren't sure who you are, let's give them the the lowdown on uh, your background, what you do and how you uh, sort of are changing the way uh, we, we look at our nutrition. Okay, so um, uh, I've been involved in working professionally in uh, diet and nutrition for nearly 30 years. I, uh, when I left school, I was uh, really interested in sport and nutrition and decided to train as a dietitian. So I'm a registered dietitian, which is really a clinical training and qualification for applying nutrition in health and the clinical setting. Uh, and I really, really enjoyed that work. But my interest was always around sport. But working clinically, there's so much crossover from the clinical world into the elite athletes. So as a clinical dietitian, I worked in diabetes. So there you're learning a lot about uh, carbohydrate metabolism, uh, when it works and when it doesn't. So I also worked as a palliative care dietitian so there I was using diet and nutrition to help support the quality of life and help to maintain uh, muscle mass and function of patients and again learning how you help to support uh, individuals whose bodies in a lot of stress as a direct, direct crossover with sport and uh, as my career progressed I was able to work more and more in sport and this involved taking uh, an academic position as a, a lecturer in sports nutrition and uh, uh, developed alongside working, uh, started with British Cycling in about 2002. Roll through my career, I have worked with uh, with a range of sports. So uh, even in those days, I was working with uh, uh, sports such as judo, boxing, which are obviously weight making sports, uh, Olympic sailing. And throughout my career, I have tended to specialise more in cycling uh, but again, work with other sports and, uh, you know, one of the things for the listeners here, we have a lot of triathletes, uh, uh, listen to the podcast, uh, and, uh, a lot of work with, uh, with triathletes as well at all levels, uh, over the years. I just, I guess I just really enjoy applying my knowledge of food and nutrition to help support athletes to perform to the best they can be for their chosen sports. And over the last 10 years, a great deal of my time has been focused in World Tour Cycling. First of all, with uh, Team Sky from its inception to 2016. And then over the last four years, I've been working with uh, the team that is now Education First. Fantastic. Uh, an, an incredible uh, a career and uh, really, realistically one that's still still going and is going to get uh, bigger and better. And we're obviously delighted to have you as, uh, as part of our uh, uh, 
uh, expert panel, as I said. Uh, I, I guess what for the listeners, we're going to go through uh, a number of different factors today. We're going to talk about uh, the world tour, pros, uh, foods, what to eat and stuff like that. But we're going to finish on uh, offering some really, really good advice for, for your sort of like modern amateur athlete. So uh, our, our listeners are going to get some really good tips on uh, on what we should be eating and uh, food prep and anything else, as well as a look at what uh, what you're going to be doing in the future, Nigel some really exciting uh exciting things that you've got going on as well so let's just jump straight in here and uh let's talk about um uh some of the pro teams work i mean obviously team sky huge team i mean hugely successful at the time when you were there too uh i mean what what what's it like even with even with like uh your team right now what does a day look like when you're at a world tour yeah, well, I mean, to, if I can just go back a little bit, when I started with uh, with Sky, I was really the first uh, credible, qualified nutritionist working at the world to a level, and uh, there were quite a few people around who was uh, uh, working around nutrition, but they'd not really come through that uh, robust uh, type of training that, that I'd had. And what's interesting, ten years down the line. Pretty much every single team employs at least one nutritionist now or are all credible practitioners. So there's been a massive shift over the last 10 years around the interest of looking at nutrition within professional cycling. Uh, but within uh, uh, Team Sky, we're an amazing opportunity to look at what we wanted to do from the ground up. And so we were able to look at what we wanted the, uh, uh, the the riders to eat and drink and thinking about all of their requirements and their needs and, and really build it from uh, 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 from from nothing. So that were, that was amazing. And working at World Tour is it's really like nothing else. When when you're away with the team. Uh, my day, uh, at a, uh, it all depends on where we are and what we're doing. Uh, but my day, I like to think, starts with having something like a, a five or six mile run. That's where I like to start on a, on a morning. Uh, but the, the work is really around looking at the environment and ensuring that we've got the best environment for the riders. And if we've got the, uh, 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 the best support and the best setup, then actually individual work with riders is not really the, uh, the main thing that's needed. Uh, we, through the education, through working with them uh, on one-to-one before races at training camps and remotely, uh, we're really building the, uh, the knowledge base and the infrastructure so that actually when they're at the races, they've got the understanding, the knowledge and the environment, the support that they need to be able to make the right choices. Now, there is uh, uh, quite often some cases where we've got particular stages where we'll look at uh, particular uh, fueling strategies for that straight, for that stage uh, or, you know, things like the, uh, the classics have got particular uh, requirements from the fueling perspective where it can be quite challenging. So there can be very, very specific plans around that. Uh, but when I'm away at the races, it, it's, it's mainly looking at uh, how we are working, operating from nutritionally from a team. So I'd have a, uh, I'd have daily daily catch-ups with the with the chef. I'd be talking to the to the riders, to the soigneurs, 
and just really keeping on top of things and just giving little nudges here and there as required. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that actually is quite fascinating here, I'm sure... I'm sure the people, the list, uh, our listeners are also thinking this. It's, it's crazy that it's actually only been like a decade that we've really, or, or professional teams so at, at that level have been taking this quite so seriously. Um, I mean, it raises a question with me. I presume you've seen a huge change in the mindset of the, of the professional cyclists in this time too, haven't you? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I was really lucky uh, coming into the sport when I came into the sport because uh, we all know uh, uh, the history in uh, uh, professional sports, not just cycling. And uh, uh, for a long time, it was actually believed that somebody could not ride the Tour de France or a Grand Tour without using some sort of uh, IV recovery type of products. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that people were using any banned substances. But what the belief was that you couldn't actually get the fluids, you couldn't get the vitamins, you couldn't get the minerals through the alimentary canal, through the gut. And it was believed that you needed to use some sort of, uh, uh, some sort of uh, injectable system. And if that's the belief, then actually, then the, new, the, the delivery side of it were really managed by the medical teams for a long time, we were, we were really looking at a very much medical model. But as the sport was starting to become much more transparent, and even though these practices may not have been doping, they're certainly undesirable practices, then that really were opening up, well, what are the alternatives? And I remember going to a, to a conference uh, in Belgium in the sort of mid-2000s, so I was talking to, uh, to a Belgian doctor, and he was just convinced that it were impossible just to get through the Tour de France just by eating and drinking. And uh, through my clinical work, I knew how robust the digestive system can be if you look after it. And so we, you know, we had, we had no problems at all in ensuring we get enough calories, enough fluid into the riders and they can absorb it, digest it, etc. So there were a real culture shift within professional cycling. And now, you know, I mean, and, uh, and, and Team Sky, and to be fair, at the time, uh, Jonathan Porter's team, Slipstream Sports, the, the original Garmin, they were really advanced around this area as well, looking at, looking at the use of food. So at that time, uh, uh, again, over 10 years ago, Alan Lim, who uh, owns Scratch, he, as I say, he, he was not what he's not what you would call a qualified nutritionist, but he had a lot of interest in food and nutrition, and he put a lot of effort into helping to support the riders around that, those areas. And in fact, the the uh, the rice cakes, which are quite famous now in uh, in professional cycling, uh, uh, they really came from uh, uh, Alan Lynn's grandmother, who used to make something similar. When, she, when he was a child, and then he started making something for the riders. I then, talking with Bradley Wiggins, adapted that recipe, and that's something that's used completely across the World Tour teams at the moment. Fantastic. It's, uh, that's actually quite a good story. I was chuckling away in my head a little bit here that something, something so kind of crucial and uh, such a big component of um, the nutrition or fueling for, for, uh, for sort of professional cyclists has come from someone's nan. It's great, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it, it is amazing. But I mean, again, the, a funny parallel story to it is that, you know, and, I, and I've, I've mentioned this in uh, uh, in a book that I've written and, and when, I, when I present around it, when 
when I was sort of 15, 16, and uh, my my mother was a, a time trialist and she was riding uh, the North Mids 12 hours. So for our international listeners, this is where uh, people in the UK just do a 12-hour time trial and just see how far they can cycle for 12 hours. And uh, so she was, she was doing that and actually uh, I, was, I was supporting her and I was uh, feeding her on on rice pudding so uh, we're not we're not a million miles away and that's sort of 30 years down the line we're using something very similar with the pros fantastic that's excellent uh, i mean let's talk about let's talk about the amount of calories then obviously we, we're loving loving the um the, the rice cakes and everything that's uh, it, it's but how many how many calories uh is is somebody using on it let's just go just to make it simple on a, on a stage of latour Right. I mean, you, you, you can't make it that simple, unfortunately, because it's so varied. And um, what people have got to understand when you're looking at stage races like uh, a Grand Tour, it's it's all about energy conservation. So the riders are actually trying to conserve as much energy as they can. And the way that we race a bike is is actually quite intermittent. And so we've got opportunities for refueling, etc., but cutting all that aside, then people will average if they if they're doing general work and you know they've got time at the front, time at the back, then they'll average roughly about 800 calories per hour. So on a, uh, a, a four four hour stage, you'd be looking at 3,600 calories, something like that, uh, just in work on the stage. It goes up massively if they're in a break. If it's like a six-hour stage and they're in a break, then they can quite easily be getting through five, six, seven thousand calories. Uh, we recently had the World Championships. I would hate to imagine how many calories those guys used on that day. And you could see with the weather there was a real issue around fueling, and you could see people finishing, and they were all really hypoglycemic and hypothermic. So a lot of it would depend on the stage. The main thing is the guys are trying to use as little energy as they can, uh, but it will range between three and six thousand calories. Does that help? <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, it does. I, I, I mean, that is a lot, isn't it? In energy state, it's a very wild swing, and oh, there's yeah. a lot of things that are, um, that affect that, I guess. And uh, one of the things I wanted to actually quickly bring back to, as you mentioned earlier, is that there's the, the, the gut actually is a, is a big thing here, and I. You talked about um, ensuring there's adequate gut health. Now, when you're consuming that much food, the type of food has got to be incredibly important. And I guess that that is incredibly individual as well. So how do you protect a rider's gut? So, Because as we know, I mean, the, the gut is where if you've got gut issues, then you're possibly not absorbing as much of the micro or macronutrients as, as you need. So. I mean, it's, been, it's a fascinating topic is, is gut health. And I first became really interested in gut health in the early 90s when I was working with immunocompromised patients with uh, HIV and AIDS and uh, really learned a lot uh, from, from that population. And, and they were really in front of the time with eating uh, a lot of uh, probiotic uh, type foods and and we're getting a greater understanding all the time around the importance of the gut and the, the current uh, uh, the, the current thinking a lot is really around trying to manage the 
the microbiome, the the the, the bacteria uh, in the gut is is critical. And there's lots of things that will affect that. So I've spoken a lot in the past and written about the the importance of uh, regulating, maintaining a good gut pH. But it's not so much necessarily the the changes in the pH that will have such a negative effect on just the the structure of the gut, but it's affecting the microbiome, which then affects the gut health as well. And uh, and so for a, a long time uh, with professional riders, then we've used things such as uh, a quite neutral pH sports drinks. So most sports drinks tend to have a very low pH. And uh, and there's, there's reasons for that. And one of the main reasons is around taste. Uh, and, and these drinks are normally designed for people to drink, you know, maybe one or two bottles every two or three days. Uh, but when we're working with uh, uh, professional riders who may, may be drinking six, six to ten bottles of sports drink a day, if we've got a very low pH, then that can affect the pH in the small intestine, which then can affect the microbiome can affect the microvilli. So the microvilli is basically the uh, the lining within the small intestine where we are digesting and absorbing all the nutrients. And getting into some of the technical side with it, if this becomes compromised, then the, uh, the we have what we call tight protein junctions, tight junctions between the microvilli, which can open up. And this can allow some of the toxins into the body. And this is where we get the leaky gut syndrome, et cetera. Now, the gut, it's more complex than that because it's also susceptible to heat and it's also susceptible to uh, uh, to a lot of different pressures. So when we're cycling, we really, really put the gut under stress. And obviously, when we race it, when we're riding hard, we've got a diversion of blood as well from the gut. So there's a lot of factors that we have to think about of how we can best protect the gut. And what we sometimes will see with riders is that they develop things like a, a temporary lactose intolerance, or they can even develop temporary wheat intolerances. Uh, but if we give them a very uh, simple but healthy diet based on using a lot of uh, vegetables, a lot of vegetable juicing, and we're using a more neutral sort of base type of sports drinks, we find that we can manage a lot of the gut symptoms really well. And I first started thinking about these issues with pro cyclists when I remember back in the sort of late uh, noughties, I was talking to Max Skiandri, and he'd tell me, he he would tell me at the end of, getting towards the end of a Grand Tour, he'd just be laid on his bed and his stomach could be swollen. He said he felt he were almost pregnant and just, it was just sort of windy all the time. I was just thinking, what what is happening here? What can we do to prevent it? And and again, so, you know, what we see now a lot with professional teams, you see a lot of them doing vegetable juices because this is just such an easy way to get a lot of the nutrients in from the vegetables without eating the, the, the volume. Uh, we still give vegetables and, and salad as well, but it's just an easy way to to really maximize that nutrient density without overdoing the uh, uh the, the fiber side that's really fascinating actually there's a, and i i appreciate everything that you you kind of you're saying there it's it, that the, i can only imagine that like 10 years ago that again there wasn't anybody with a juicer sat there juicing up <laughs> <and loading laughs> vegetables uh, 
I mean, for the listeners, I'm sure they're wondering exactly what I'm wondering right now. You've talked a lot about the micronutrition here, the the, the sort of chemicals and stuff that is going to help protect the body and everything. But what about what about the the macros? How are they fueling um, at these stages? What's the best foods? I mean, it's probably highly personal, but are, are there any big big things that you could help us with? Maybe some generalizations. Yeah, I mean, to, to be honest, people always think it's going to be very complex, and it isn't. Uh, we, te- we we tend to uh, uh, feed feed the athletes just normal foods. Um, you know, the uh, uh, we try to keep it really simple. And uh, if you if you think about it, because we we're having to try and accommodate eight different people within a uh, within a race, uh, we've got to ensure. That, that we've got foods there that's just going to be suitable for everybody, but is also meeting our nutritional requirements. So we work very cl- uh, closely uh, with the chef. The chefs, I've got to give them a big shout. They, the chefs really, I believe, are the hardest working uh, um, people on the, on the team. They've got to be up early to start getting the food ready. Uh, you know, they're often finishing quite late. And they can never do a bad meal. If they ever if they ever do a bad meal, then the riders always remember it. So the, and and they're a real close interface with with the riders. But I'll just talk you through the type of things that we tend to offer, and you'll just go, well, that's the type of foods that we just eat anyway. Uh, so breakfast, one of the the things that again we we, we introduced in uh, at, at Sky, and I don't think it was as popular before, but most teams again use it now is just porridge just simple porridge and again to keep it really easy we we just tend to make that with water uh on a race every single rider will have an omelet for breakfast so we're getting really good quality carbohydrates from our porridge we're getting really good uh proteins and fats from our omelets Uh, avocados are another popular breakfast food what we have there so we're getting Lots of good, healthy fats from the from the avocados. Uh, there'll be some some bread. Uh, there'll be uh, uh, some uh, uh, dried fruits. Uh, uh, we'll also do have some plain rice there because some guys will just want plain rice for breakfast. Sometimes we'll do some pasta if that's what they if we're looking for a bit of variety. We always have things like some uh, some nut butters. Uh, what riders will use, which are really good energy dense type of food which are slowly slowly digested uh one of the things that i make for them sometimes when we're at the grand tours i'll make some uh pistachio nut butter which they uh, which goes down really well with them so they're just really good general foods and again depending on what we're doing the where we are then the the chef uh, may have done some uh, uh, some vegetable juices for them then when they're on the, the way to the race, then there's opportunities for them to snack on things like rice cakes, on bars, uh, little race paninis. During the race, we normally aim in for between 60 and 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour, depending on how hard they're working. And that comes in a combination of the, uh, uh, the race drinks that we use, comes in a co- using uh, rice cakes, bars, paninis. And as the race gets faster, they'll tend to use more gels, ice cakes, less of the bars, less of the paninis. As soon as they finish, everybody's given a protein recovery drink. And the real the real focus with that is getting 
some uh, some amino acids, some protein into the system, getting some fluid into the system, getting a little bit of carbohydrate. But these don't tend to be high carbohydrate drinks uh, because the riders prefer to eat the carbohydrate. And then when they're on the bus, we always have uh, a rice cooker or pressure cooker. So there's there's rice, chicken, foods like this. Then they get back to the hotel. They usually go to the food room where there's cereals, fruit, yogurts, all really good quality carbohydrate foods. Then they go to dinner with the chef who normally do a nice, tasty starter, which might be some uh, uh, smoked salmon with avocado, something like that. And then it'll be either chicken, meat, fish with either rice or potatoes, vegetables, vegetable juice. And then after that, there's usually some yogurt with uh, fruit salad. And then before they go to bed, they'll usually visit the food room again to get a snack. So as you can see, they've just they've just got every opportunity to be eating all the time. But there's nothing what you'd go that's a really unusual sort of food. It's it's really it's interesting. It's like there's just two things here. One is that actually, yeah, I am like, oh yeah, my next question is going to be a bit mute, and you'll find out why in a second. But also, I'm a bit like, why is it there's something that we can uh, take away and be like, oh, that's how they do it. It's uh, it, it's really it's really not that much different. And uh, my next question that I'd wrote down was, um, would you offer anything different for an amateur rider? And I guess based on yeah. what you you've said, it, it'd probably be exactly the same whether they were uh, this person was pitching up to do like their first century or or to do a, a road race or a time trial or something it's exactly the same type of foods but obviously one of the big differences is if you're the amateur you've usually got to prepare it all yourself so <laughs> yeah you know, you know, so that that's the the challenge so i mean one of the things i find really good for people who are doing like uh, uh, uh if they're doing an early morning event so you might be doing a sportif or a time trial or something like that and you're starting at seven o'clock and it's quite difficult to, to eat before uh, i mean the riders tend to have their breakfast three to four hours before the start of the race and uh, and and talking of time trials we have a specific time trial meal and again pretty much everybody does this and this is just rice and an omelet so four hours before the start they have rice and omelet and uh, and that's a great time trial type breakfast but if you if you're starting a time trial at seven o'clock in the morning you're not going to be having your rice and omelette at four o'clock. So what can work really well there is just a, a, a tin or half a tin of just rice pudding. Rice pudding is a great pre-race meal when you're doing something like that. It's also really convenient to use when you're traveling. So if people are working and they're doing a race on a night, then having something like rice pudding as they're traveling around can be really, really easy to eat. And a lot of people... Uh, try to avoid dairy so you can make your own rice pudding uh, just using soya milk it's so easy to make tastes absolutely fantastic so you can make your own and just and just take it around with you but the real difference is for for our keen amateurs is they have to really do things themselves whereas the pros everything is done for them and that is the big difference and it is quite a big difference because let's face it, I know a lot of uh, former pros who tell me that the hardest uh, training they've ever done is the, the 10 hours uh, a week on the bike they do now around a 40 hour work week than then when then oh, when, yeah. than when they were riding 30 hours a week. So uh, for, for yeah. our amateur listeners and everything like that, we're really having to put that in as well. It's an extra extra thing. I mean, to be honest, Pap, I don't necessarily like that term amateur because for a lot of the listeners, 
they'll be training exactly, doing exactly the same amount of hours and intensity as what some of the pros are doing. It's just they haven't quite got the genetics where they can make a living out of it. So in a lot of ways, I think they're more professional than some of the pros. I love that. That's <laughs> that's excellent. Yeah, they probably are. I mean, I mean, you've got a good point there. Genetics plays a massive part, but also uh, just even even timing. Uh, I mean, it's yeah. like nowadays in, in Britain and a lot of the the world is catching up now. It's that that investment that British cycling yeah. and everything made in grassroots coaching and uh, go ride network and stuff like that 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 has made uh, us so successful and so so real dominant in in, in quite a lot of the the cycling disciplines and. Um, I think that, yeah, there's a lot of people out there that uh, are capable of doing great things. And we, we have quite a lot of that. And you mentioned time trial. I think time trials are really uh, a really great um, model to show here is that actually there are yeah. very, very many very good uh, athletes uh, who you would put under the amateur, the branch. But given 20 years difference, if they're doing it when they were sort of in their teens, they'd be definitely on the road to a professional. Yeah. But let's, I mean, let's just sort of like switch a bit from cycling to triathlon. I mean, you look at the demands if people are training uh, uh, for triathlon, whether that be Olympic, whether that be long. The, you know, again, most people are working uh, 34 hours, uh, 30 to 40 hours a week, plus they're trying to get the training in. And plus then people are going, oh, you know, trying to get away on training camps. It's a real, real, real juggle. And I do often see it's some of the triathletes that uh, often struggle to really get what they make, what they require from the diet because of the, the demands that they're having from the, the training and the work perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, I think that it leads us on really nicely to our kind of uh, one of our final points. And I'd just like to see if there's any um, top tips that you could give our, our listeners for um, food prep. Um, just just helping make this seem like less of another thing for uh, for our, our listeners to do. OK, so basically, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm a dietitian. So what really that's all about is 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 taking science and turning it into food. So we've got food based solutions to science. And so it's really and, and, and these are really simple, simple rules, but I'll give some practical advice that can make it so much easier for people. So the first thing is, is being prepared and being organized and what you can do if you are training really seriously where you're doing 15 hours a week plus and you're working with a coach and you're working where you've got quite a detailed training plan then what can really help you there is actually to start planning out your meals and if you're using some of the uh, 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 some of the coaching software you can then cut and paste you can once you've got your meals laid out you can cut and paste them to different days and that helps you then in the planning of the meals. So you can go, okay, you know, what I'm going to be doing, I've got really some heavy days, so I'm going to look to plan my meals. And what you can then do is even start sort of doing a bit of batch cooking. So once you've made a meal, you're actually making enough for two or three servings, and you can, you know, either freeze these or keep them in the fridge. Or you, one of the really good techniques is to make, enough so you can then take some for work with you for lunch the next day so it's it's thinking smart with that and planning and ensuring that you actually have your plan together for when you go shopping how many times do you go shopping you get home and you forgot a couple of the things that you needed to get 
So you either don't have them, so you might be missing out on some of the nutrients, or you've got to go back to the shop. So you've just wasted 45 minutes of precious recovery time, family time, whatever. So be organized, plan, stick to that plan. Then you can really help yourself with some of the modern kitchen equipment that uh, there is about. So I use things like pressure cookers a lot. I use things like slow cookers. So the modern pressure cookers can all be set with timers. So these are electric pressure cookers. And again, it was uh, Alan Lemel gave me the tip of using the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the electric pressure cooker. And so all you have to do with this is just basically, once you've got used to it, you put your ingredients in, you set a timer, you set it going, you come home from work or you come back from your bite and you've got food cooked and you cook enough there again. So you've got several batches of that. So thinking about labor and time saving cooking devices can really help you a lot. Then when time is precious and we're trying to really get as much nutrition packed into the foods we're having, then really looking at bringing in as much of the different vegetables, peppers, etc., that you can within your food. And some people might not be a great vegetable eater. So you can, one of the simple things you can do there is basically make a very simple tomato-based pasta sauce where you chuck all of the different veggies in and then you just blend it up so it's smooth. So you can't even see these vegetables. I learned this tip when my kids were young so I could get vegetables into my kids. But it's also a good way of getting vegetables into, into people who are not great at it or are just wanting to just prepare one thing um so i think they're, they're some of the simple tips that i give people then fantastic yep some really valuable tips there thank you and um i mean that really that we're, we're pretty much on the on the nose of the timing here uh, it's been a pleasure having you here nigel um for our listeners um what what what's next for you where can they find out more information and uh, i know you've got a, a a book coming out another book so why don't you give us uh, the lowdown on that yeah so uh, I was fortunate to publish a book a couple of years ago around general nutrition for cycling called Fueling the Cycling Revolution. Uh, but I've seen there's been a big, big increase in the interest in cycling, uh, people following plant-based diets, maybe not necessarily full-time, but looking at um, uh, having had meat three days or really reducing the amount of animal protein and uh, so uh, i decided that uh, i would want to write a book to help support the serious athletes but it's applicable to both cyclists and triathletes who were were really interested in either going full plant-based or or really reducing uh, the animal proteins in the diet so uh, this is a project that i've done with uh, gcn the global cycling network and uh, uh, the book will be um, is just going to print pretty much as we talk. So uh, it'll be out. Uh, it'll be out for Christmas. So it make an ideal Christmas present for some people. <laughs> uh, but this is this is what I call one of these passion projects. It's something where I've had uh, uh, people asking a lot of questions, a lot of interest. There seems to be a lot of misinformation, a lot of propaganda out there. There's a lot of uh, videos that are either biased one way or biased the other. So I've just tried to produce something that provides sensible, practical information and guidance for people who are just going, you know what, I want to cut the animal 
animal proteins down a bit or I want to cut them out. Fantastic. And uh, I, I will certainly be getting myself a copy of that book. It sounds uh, it sounds great. And uh, I'm already I'm already sat here thinking, well, there's two more podcasts we're going to be recording with you soon, <laughs> Nigel. <laughs> um, I mean, I just if I can I'll just say that the guys at GCN have done an amazing production on this book. It looks super cool. And uh, uh, I'm really pleased with the job that they've uh, they've done on it, done with it. And it's going to be called the uh, the plant based cyclist. Excellent, and I'm sure our listeners will look out for that. And uh, uh, yeah, again, once uh, once again, thank you so much, Nigel, for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Okay, cheers, Pab, and uh, uh, good luck to everybody. Yes, absolutely. Thank you to the listeners, uh, everybody that's tuned in. It's been uh, it's great to know that you're you're there. Uh, remember to share this with your friends and uh, leave us a little comment or a like or a review, depending on what platform you're listening on. Uh, obviously, don't forget to subscribe, and uh, we'll be back again soon with another episode of Bespoked.